Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Dan Dry Doc Shockley retired from the Navy after 22 years. He participated in Operation Desert Storm, and he's an Iraqi Freedom veteran. Dan also has 10-year hereditary colon cancer syndrome. It was diagnosed after his first and only colonoscopy at the age of 51. He was asymptomatic and has no family history. Dan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Andrew. I appreciate it, and uh, just looking forward to uh, have you know another platform to share my journey to um, to the uh, to the audience. Yeah, so we could probably talk for hours about your military background. Before I hit record, I shared with Dan that I'm actually an Air Force brat and kind of surrounded by the military, my own family. But I want to talk about this syndrome that was discovered. Let's go back. So first of all, what made you get a colonoscopy? Was it just because you hit that age? What happened? Well, I'd always known, you know, through the decades that when an individual turns 50, schedule a colonoscopy. And I retired, I was 43 years old, retired from the Navy. And I registered with the Veterans Administration Healthcare System. And my First appointment with my primary care doctor. We went through my military medical history, sure. and then we discussed um, when I turned fifty. It's uh, recommended to have a colonoscopy, and I said, "Well, I'm, absolutely. I have no reservations about that." And I was forty-three, so when I turned fifty, you know, so I'd go in annually for my uh, my checkups, and when I turned uh, my my checkups were the month before my birthday. Got it. So I was actually 50 when I had my appointment to schedule my colonoscopy. And we noticed that there was, from the previous year's physical, there was a 14-pound uh, unexpected weight loss. So my primary care doctor and GI doctor, they uh, discussed with, my, uh, with myself to we're going to do a, not only a colonoscopy, we want to do an upper GI. Endoscopy. To, right. Yeah, to determine if there's any underlying issues. Now, sure. asymptomatic, no family history. I was working two full-time jobs. I had a, day, a full-time day job as an implementation coordinator on a government contract for a, a commercial telecommunications company. Then at nighttime and on the weekends, I was employed at a hardware store. I was very busy. Um, at the hardware job. Of course, the day job was more of a desk jockey. Uh, however, so we, we scheduled the, the uh, procedures and of course being sedated. When I woke up, my GI doctor was standing in the recovery room by my bedside and he said, Daniel, we're gonna need to talk. I have found a hundred polyps embedded throughout your colon, rectum and anus and one of those polyps is a large mass causing an 80% blockage in your ascending colon. And I oh looked at him. Oh my God. 
and I'm drinking some guava juice, eating animal crackers. And I said, well, doc, what, what do you mean? What's this, what does this mean? I, I have no indication. I mean, no change in bowel habits, nothing, no, nothing. Wow. That's crazy. And it just, so he said, okay, well, Dan, uh, I'm going to need you to come into my office uh, because right now you just came out of sedation. I need you to be coherent. Uh, Come back into my office. I have a time set up for you. We're going to sit down and talk about this and then what my plan is because you're going to need further evaluation and possibly surgery. However, let's just, let's start, you know, let's make, take small strides here. So I, two days later, I went in to see him and he suspected that I had a hereditary colon cancer syndrome known as familial adenomatous polyposis. FAP is the acronym. He said, however, we won't know for sure until we have germline DNA testing. So I was at the VA Medical Center on Oahu, and on the same campus is Tripler Army Medical Center. And they have a certified genetic counselor as wow. well as a, a colorectal, uh, chief colorectal surgeon who assigned my case. He said, now, Dan, I'm going to have send you over to see the genetic counselor, and I want you to you know, share your thoughts with her. And so I went in a couple days later to see the genetic counselor and um, the, uh, the first discussion we had was my genetic counselors. And I, and of course I said to work at a hardware store, just a backstory, no pun intended. <laughs> well, one of my, one of my loyal customers just happens to be the chief of surgery of Tripler and my genetic counselor reports to him as well as my colorectal surgeon. Well, I didn't know he was the chief of surgery. We, you know, I didn't know this until I went over to the general surgery um, uh, clinic. And when I walked through the doors of the waiting room, I saw the chain of command. Military has, you know, the chain of command, the pictures. The very first photo is the chief of surgery. And it's my buddy, Ian, and he's a colonel. Oh, that's wild. So, so right then, as soon as I, as soon as I saw his picture, I said, I'm, I'm good. This is, you could, you could tell me I have cancer, I have a week to live. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to go about my life as like I've done in the past. So. So was the next step at genetic counseling? Yeah. And, and then- Susan, my genetic counselor brought me back to the exam room. She says, Daniel. Ian came up to me yesterday and said, one of my buddies from the hardware store is coming in, take care of him. And I just raised my hands. I said, Susan, I'm home. <laughs> says, oh, by the way, there's, we have no confidentiality back here. And I said, even better. So we went back to the exam room. We sat down. She explained to me. She thought that I had FAP. However, we won't know until we do DNA testing. The closest molecular oncology lab is in Pasadena, California. So she said, oh, we're going to get some blood samples and saliva samples. And then we hope to have results back in three weeks to rule out FAP. Okay. And I said, okay, well, where do I need to go? She goes, oh, no, you don't go anywhere. The nurse is going to come in here and draw your blood. We'll do the saliva sample. And then I'm going to bring a colorectal surgeon in and we're all going to talk about your case. And in the meantime, though, we have to wait for the results to come back. And I'm going to give you some information, some credible sources to read about FAP 
and you're going to most likely require total proctocolectomy surgery with a permanent ileostomy, meaning that they will remove my colon rectum and anus. Oh my God. And I'll be outfitted with a permanent ostomy. How did you feel when she said that? Well, it's a lot to digest, no pun intended. However, my military career conditioned me to be able to adapt, improvise, and overcome. It also conditioned me to be able to plan for the worst and hope for the best. So that being said, I embraced the diagnosis from the onset. My mindset is I tend not to think about medical, uh, I tend not to think about um, things I'm out of my control, such as medical issues. What I can control is my positive attitude. And after five decades on God's green earth, my positive attitude has brought me this far. Why change now? So we sat down, she brought in the colorectal surgeon and he explained to me what would probably happen. However, he said, Daniel, I need to be honest with you. Your case is too complex for me. You don't need surgery right now. So I'm going to have the chief colorectal surgeon um, schedule an appointment with you next week because right now we just need to get the DNA test initiated. I said, hey, I appreciate your your honesty, doc. And uh, that, that means a lot. And then, of course, I had a conversation with my genetic counselor in closing. On the way out of my appointment, Ian was in the hallway. He pulled me off to the side for 20 minutes. We're standing there in the hallway and his whole staff is all walking by and we're talking just like we're in the hardware store. And I would explain to him, um, you know, what my mindset is. And he says, you know, this, everything's going to be fine. We have the best medical team here for this and we just have to wait for the results to come back now the results did take six weeks to come back instead of three which was fine i had all kinds of questions written down i had an open door policy with my genetic counselor my gi doctor my colorectal surgeon and my primary care doctor so I was able to ask lots of questions. Plus, on the weekends, on Saturday and Sunday, Ian is at the hardware store. I got the he'd come by and say, "Hey, Daniel, how you doing today?" And I said, "Well, I'm doing good, considering. I mean, but I'm just I'm just waiting for those results." He says, "Okay, well, we'll have, we have this under control. Everything's gonna be fine." So let's fast forward. Take six weeks. You get the results. What happens next? Well, I'd already read about the mutation. I've read about the type of surgery, and I read that. What a, an individual with an ostomy, you know, life after uh, that surgery would be like. Well, reading about it is one thing. Living it is another. However, mentally, I was prepared. So when my colorectal surgeon said, Daniel, the mutation results came back, you, not, you have the mutation. However, what you have is attenuated FAP, which is a subvariant of FAP, and it's estimated to impact less than 0.03% of the global population. Wow. That, that being said, it's in the best practice of medicine that you'll need a total proctocolectomy with a permanent ileostomy surgery. You don't have to have it, however you need it, because the longer you go without having that surgery, the higher percentage that any of those polyps will develop into colon cancer. And once it develops into colon cancer, it gets into your system. And it could go any, you know, there's numerous things that could happen at that point. I said, Doc, I've already read about the surgery. I've read about the mutation. And I want the surgery. 
He goes, Daniel, that's what I thought you'd say. I've already scheduled your surgery. It's two weeks from today. Wait, I got to So I got to ask because I'm so curious. So that's a big decision and that's a big surgery. And huge. you did not have cancer or you had early stage. Like there was no question that you would develop cancer. Like you said before, I hit record stage zero, essentially. Mm-hmm. Why did you move forward with such a big cancer or big surgery, excuse me, when you were not even in stage one yet? And they had removed those polyps, I'm assuming, during the colonoscopy. No, no, no. We could not. There was 100 polyps. They only took a couple to sample. But once he saw all the polyps embedded throughout the colon rectum ass, that's why he immediately had me referred to certified genetic there was counselor. Just once too we many. did the DNA, okay. yeah, once we did the germline DNA test, see, that confirmed, you know. And then, by the way, attenuated FAP, if an individual is going to um, have that, they, it's going to be between 50 and 55. I was 51. Okay. So and, that, that window. Okay. So you have this surgery. Yes. When, and when did this happen? I'm assuming not during COVID. The diagnosis was June 29th of 2012. And the okay. surgery was two weeks later, which was July 13th. Okay. And, and it was a, just over six hour surgery. And when I woke up, I knew where I was. I knew what happened. And the first thing I said to, to the medical team before the surgeon came in was, did you find everything you were looking for? What did they say? And he says, I believe so. However, we'll know for sure when the pathology report comes back in eight days. And you mentioned that they removed some lymph nodes as well? They removed all the lymph nodes associated with that large mass, which turned out to be an eight centimeter um, tumor, uh, high-grade dysplasia, which I'm not a medical professional, but I've been informed that that's as close to stage zero. Um, so that's what I go with. Okay. And my chief, the chief, sur- the chief of surgery came in to my room at like 6.30 in the morning with his cup of coffee. He says, Daniel, uh, we need, you know, I just want to let you know the results came back and uh, you, that large mass was an eight centimeter tumor. And by the way, Ian's wife is a doctor. She's the leading pathologist at Tripor. So no pun intended, they know me inside and out. <laughs> and so you, you woke up from that surgery. What kind of support system did you have in place, Dan? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. I had, I had my, my colorectal surgeon, the chief of surgery. I had the wound nurse. They were, and, and then all the charge nurses. What about personal the- support? Outside of the medical had, establishment. Yeah, I had uh, my, my uh, manager from my day job, my manager from my night job. I had friends from church, uh, deacons from church coming to visit me. I had my siblings, obviously, uh, via phone because I'm in Hawaii. My sister and her family are in Indiana. My brother and his family are down in Kentucky. My parents are deceased. And, and I also had communication with my first cousins. All my maternal and paternal relatives have passed. I'm the youngest of the first cousins, so I had open discussion with a lot of my first cousins, and of course my siblings, I kept them in the, informed of what's going on. Everything was, this was all new to everyone that I spoke with. Well, I'm sure, and since you have siblings, did they 
get tested eventually for this genetic mutation? No, they didn't get tested. I'm the youngest. My uh, sister's four years older than me, and my brother's 12 years older than me. They've been going to get their colonoscopies. They started at 50, two or three polyps. Um, I share all my information with them. They share it with their GI doctors, and they, you know, we're, we're, we're you know, they're past that age. You know, they're right. out of that window, 50 to 55. So if they were going to have it, they would have already had it. Okay. There would, have, there would have been signs, but two or three, four polyps, and they're benign. Um, now, I do need to mention that attenuated FAP was discovered by the late Dr. Henry T. Lynch. So for those uh, that are familiar with Lynch syndrome, yeah. well, that's named after Dr. Henry T. Lynch. Now, little did I know that Dr. Henry T. Lynch at the time um, he was 86 years old. And he is, among other things, uh, he was the director of preventive medicine at Creighton University, Omaha, Nebraska. Well, he's the founding father of hereditary cancer research. Wow. That being said, my genetic counselor and colorectal surgeon were colleagues of Dr. Lynch. And seven months after my surgery, guess who shows up in Hawaii to do academic lectures? Dr. Lynch. Really? So my... My genetic counselor invited me to one of his lectures at the University of Hawaii Cancer Center. She introduced me to Dr. Lynch in private, personally, just the three of us, to, and, and we talked for a couple minutes. And then we attended the lecture. After the lecture, we had lunch. There was a group of us from Tripler, about six of us. Then for an hour and 50 minutes, I got to talk to Dr. Lynch, and I carry a binder with me whenever I go to a medical setting oh, and the so very smart. first page is my DNA testing. So he reviewed that for me, read it out and said, well, Daniel, you have a unique case of AFAP. And then through the years, uh, he considered me a colleague. He passed away at 91 and a half years old on June wow. 2nd of 2019. Up until a month before he passed away, he was still doing his research. That's incredible. So I was born in 1960. So he started his hereditary cancer research shortly thereafter. So up until the time he passed away, my entire lifetime, he was devoted to hereditary cancer research. Wow. So that's so great that you got to I, meet him. Yeah. And we, we, I shared with my pathology reports and he would say every, every time uh, he'd review and come back and say, well, Dan, just, just keep, Continue with your, your surveillance. Every There's no cause for alarm. And um, that's, that's where we're at. And then my purpose in life is to educate the medical students and medical professionals about AFAP to continue the legacy of Dr. Lynch on the importance of early detection in hopes of saving lives. Wow. Dan, I want to go back to the surgery because it is a big surgery. And can you tell the listeners and the, the people watching as well, what is the difference between having a colostomy bag versus an, I think you said oleostomy. Ileostomy. Ileostomy bag. What is yeah. the, what is the difference between those two? Well, ileostomy, you're in my understanding, the entire colon is removed. So the ileal valve is the beginning of your colon. Got it. Where your okay. small intestine goes to your, and that valve is, you know, so that's where your output is going to be. A colostomy could be a 
is going to be a colon resection. So that's and often temporary, new, correct? The colonoscopy. It could be. It, it could be. The colostomy could be a temporary. It all depends on the diagnosis. Now, also, having an ostomy surgery, uh, it could be planned or it could be unplanned. It could be a result of an accident mm. or it could be the result of a diagnosis. Uh, there's, there's a lot of different um, reasons. There's a lot of different diagnoses for the type of surgery. Now, mine obviously was planned right. and it's based on the diagnosis. And I knew what the best practice of medicine was. So I wanted to go move forward with that now versus uh, waiting. Because if you know, if you have, you know, we have the, the research that Dr. Lynch has done through the decades. And by the way, he started his research in 1984 to study about the, which six years later, he uh, is credited with the discovery of attenuated FAP. Uh, he has, I've, I had access to his peer-reviewed uh, publication that he co-authored and I carry it with me in my binder and I share that with my medical professionals whenever I'm in a setting. That's great. And, you know, so that being said, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was the best thing to do to get the right. surgery now. So they, they took the, they removed the colon rectum and anus. So midline it's, it's, um, it was an open incision. I mean, I had 35 staples in my abdominal midline wow. okay? where my anus used to be. I had 13 staples. Now this was all done at the same time. They started on the top and they flipped me over and he explained this. My surgeon explained it to me after. I mean, I was well, you know, obviously so what was the recovery like from that surgery physically? What was the recovery like for you? It took a long time. I was, I was, um, I was on short-term disability from both of my jobs for nine weeks, and then I was medically cleared to return. However, um, it, it takes a, it takes a lot out of you. I mean, uh, physically, right. mentally, I'm I was engaged the whole time because well, that I, I can see. That's why I yeah, asked about yeah. the physical. <laughs> mentally, yeah. physical. there's no question. <laughs> yeah, physically, it was a it was a it was a very very slow. You know, I learned just take your time, you know, sit back, relax and enjoy the ride. I'd heard that phrase and I'm doing it, you know, after that surgery because it's just, and you no, know, also I had to learn how, what it's like to be an ostomate. I had to learn how right. to take care of, and I'm self-sufficient, you know, so I was, my, my wound nurse was amazing and she equipped me to be able to take care of myself. And once I got discharged, I'm home. I had all my supplies. She made sure the uh, the order was placed and everything was shipped to my house. And but it took a long time physically because yeah. you're so weak. I mean, they removed, you know, a lot of real estate. Plus, yeah. I had the incisions, and my body was traumatized. Of course, know? of course. So, I, I want to ask anyway. you about the genetic thing again. Do you have children? No, I do not have biological children. Okay. You know, and right. that's a blessing. And something told me just growing up, I'd say, you know, I just want to travel. And I had the opportunity once I got out of high school, I traveled the world. I got to visit 22 different countries in my 22 year career. Uh, I've been on seven different ships and three of those seven ships were deployed to the Persian Gulf as back as far as 92. 
back over there in 95. So what are some challenges you've had living with this ileostomy, if any? No, no, no challenges. It's just, uh, you know, I was able to adapt, improvise, and overcome. So I have a lot of resources, the United Ostomy Associations of America. I mean, I'm an ambassador for them. Nice. And, uh, you know, we have Ostomy Awareness Day, which is the first Saturday of every October. I've been involved with that campaign for the last eight, uh, the 10 years that I've been an ostomy. And, uh, you know, so we, you know, I want to help the, the uh, destigmatize those who have yeah. an ostomy. There's nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to be embarrassed about. And it's, you know, there's a lot of mental preparation that obviously goes into it. And the wound nurses are amazing and they help out, you know, uh, with uh, different uh, techniques and different things to, you know, keep in mind. And I've just absorbed it. I was like a giant sponge. I just absorbed all this information as well as in the hereditary colon cancer arena and, um, and rare disease because it's a rare disease what I have. Yeah, absolutely. And mental health. I have a, you know, I have platforms that I'm an advocate for that as well. Good, good. Dan, what's one thing you wish you had known at the beginning? Um, the only thing I can think of is I wish I would have known Dr. Henry T. Lynch was the, uh, the founding father, but I found out, you know, months later. Okay. And of course got to meet him, but that really is it because I was, I was satisfied. I was, you know, I'm, I have closure on all this and now I just want to project a positive, you know, um, attitude and positive image uh, for those who hear or read about my journey. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, be a source of inspiration and encouragement. And, and this is on globally. This is not just, you know, uh, sure. and, and on numerous platforms. So, Dan, if you could only do one thing to change healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, the, the big thing that I would think about with uh, pertaining to the uh, germline DNA testing and um, then along with that, remove the... Uh, the copay requirement for individuals who have colonoscopies and they end up having biopsies uh, because there's a loophole, you know, and I don't want to get into the political side of that, but if they can remove that loophole, at least in the U S right. so the individuals who are getting colonoscopies and end up having biopsies that they are not re responsible for that copay for the pathology report. Mm. There's individuals I've been informed through the years that are turned away. They 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 back they back away from the colonoscopy because they're informed that they are responsible for the copay in the event that there's biopsies. Yeah, so, my my out of pocket expenses are ridiculous for stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's just terrible. So, um, yeah, but that's that's uh you know that's another that's another discussion. You know, I'm more of a a live case presentation to to let the medical students and the medical community know that as a result of all their tireless efforts through the years and decades of, um, you know, their practice that I'm on the other side of the table right? saying thank you for everything you've done. And, and I've, I'm here to be a live case presentation virtually 
on an international uh, you know, platform or platforms for the rest of my life. This is what I want to do. And this is what I'm doing, actually. That's awesome. Dan, are you ready? We're going to lighten things up. Not that you aren't sure. completely positive, <laughs> but you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire? Hey, go for it. Let's do it. Okay. Beach, desert, or mountains? Well, oh gosh, I'm going to have to go with, um, that's a tough one because I, you know, after 22 years in the Navy, I've seen enough of the beach. <laughs> uh, I've lived in the Middle East for a long time. There's enough of the desert. I'm going to have to go mountain. Okay. Beach Boys, <laughs> Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Positive. That was the word I had in my head. Absolutely. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Jim Croce, I Got a Name. And the last meal you want to eat? A hoagie from Philly. <laughs> I was born in Philly. And hoagies, <laughs> I love hoagies. That's my, that's my, in fact, I've, Philly's won. They're going to World Series. I, already, I made two hoagies this week already. <laughs> What about the last person or people you want to see? Um, besides my fiance, uh, my sister, and my brother. And the last words you will speak? Always forge ahead with a purpose. And aside from cancer, you, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And please tell people how they can get in touch with you. Well, there's numerous um, organizations. Uh, United Ostomy Associations of America is a great one. The Colon Cancer Prevention Project out of Lexington, Kentucky, uh, founded by Dr. Whitney Jones. That's, uh, that's a great one. I'm, I collaborate with them on numerous projects. And the Colon Cancer Coalition, the Colon Cancer Alliance, and Colon Cancer Foundation, those are all great okay. organizations as well. All and right. I'm on Twitter. My handle is Dry Shockley. I'm not sure. It's supposed to be dry, Dan Drydock, but it's Dry Shockley. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, and it's Dan Drydock Shockley. All right. So we will put links to that in the show notes and all those resources as well. Dan, thank you for, one, sharing your story, but also thank you so much for your service. Uh, thank you very much. And we have Veterans Day coming up November 11th, just around the corner. So Give a shout out to all my uh, all the veterans out there. Welcome home. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.